Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Wrap Podcast. My name is Sundara Chetty and I will be highlighting some of the informative feature and news articles from the 1st October issue of Farmers Weekly, which is on sale this week. In this week's magazine, read articles on regenerative grazing and farming. Find out how SA can position itself to become a major blueberry exporter. Regulatory hurdles still frustrating cannabis growers. A nature-based farming approach revised Limpopo fruit and grain operation. And lastly, can SA grow its agro-processing sector? Let's take an in-depth look at the top feature article, Regenerative Grazing, Realizing Maximum Sustainable Profit Per Hectare. Did you know regenerative grazing management entails controlling where and for how long animals graze? With this article, Farmers Weekly looked at the success stories of cattle farmers in different parts of South Africa. These farmers have experienced positive results with the use of regeneration as a means of restoring felt. And as a bonus, they've been able to increase their felt's carrying capacity. Hannes Bota, a farmer running a mixed enterprise near Carolina Mpumalanga, said he was able to double his farm's carrying capacity in a single season due to regenerative farming practices. Bota had previously tried to implement precision farming, which he says had cost an arm and a leg and brought very little improvement to his operation. Bota has been practicing regenerative agriculture for three seasons. Now, he's, he moved away from conventional agricultural farming practices when he realized it doesn't make sense to spend more and more for the same or smaller profit. He also realized that higher yields don't necessarily equate to higher profits. By implementing the knowledge that he gained and using the tools he already had, he changed his livestock management program to an ultra-high-density grazing UHDG system and, within a single season, was able to double the felt's carrying capacity. Northwest cattle farmer D.F. Pfeiffer, owner of Bejane Cattle Co., also uses UHDG on his farm near Lona. He says that healthy soil and cattle are interconnected. Pfeiffer stresses that everything they do on the farm is aimed at increasing the felt's carrying capacity and adding value to their products. The objective of such a UHDG system is to create smaller camps to be utilized by ultra high stock rates for short periods. Genetics was a major solution to the challenges Pfeiffer experienced. He explains that regenerative farming requires animals that can adapt quite easily, which led him to realize that he needed a hybrid animal. Pfeiffer started farming with the Adaptor, a breed formed by combining the Beefmaster, Boran, Nguni, and Moshona. Now, this composite was bred according to Johann Zitzmann's Felt Master Principles, and specifically developed for UHDG. Now, to learn more about regenerative grazing, read the full article on page 38. In the next feature, we explored the growth of cannabis in South Africa. We spoke to Sinanchlantla Ngini, chairperson of the Fair Trade Independent Cannabis Association, and asked him how has the legal and regulatory environment around cannabis production, use and trade evolved. Now, according to Mgini, the recorded history of cannabis in South Africa dates all the way back to the 1600s, when Jan van Riebeek began trading with indigenous Khoikhoi. In 1928, cannabis was criminalized in South Africa under the Medical, Dental and Pharmacy Act, which was due to moral and political panic. South Africa introduced the Weeds Act in 1937, which was a more comprehensive ban of cannabis in the country. 
And on 18th September 2018, a constitutional court judgment set the wheels of legislation in motion. Justice Raymond Zondo ruled that adults may possess or use cannabis for personal consumption, but only in private. Furthermore, the court decriminalized the cultivation of cannabis in a personal residence for personal consumption. And there were no immediate limitations placed on the quantities of cannabis that could be cultivated, possessed or consumed. South Africa's current stance on the legislation and regulation of cannabis is entrenched in the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill, which was introduced in 2020 for the purposes of placing limitations on personal cultivation, possession, sharing and use of cannabis by adults and in private spaces. Now, this bill makes provision for public possession and gifting, not trading, of cannabis plants, seeds or seedlings, and dried flowers or their equivalents. Offenses in respect of the acceptable quantities are also considered in the bill. Although this bill is yet to be approved by Parliament and enacted into law, many positive strides are being made towards developing a beneficial bill. Mgoni also shared some of the main challenges that the industry now has to overcome. He says the industry faces barriers in obtaining cannabis cultivation licenses. Moreover, the lack of international recognition of South African standards affects the opportunities of South African cannabis cultivators to execute international offtake agreements. These hurdles are being addressed by the likes of FICA and other industry role players that wish to see more progressive development. Mguni says South Africa has the potential to unlock a multi-billion rand industry if governments passes the necessary regulations. According to the United Nations, South Africa is already the third largest producer of cannabis and related products, such as hemp and oils in Africa, with 2,300 tons of the plant being produced annually. In the last feature, we find out how nature-based farming secures a solid future for your Limpopo fruit and grain operation. Leon Ekstian, CEO of Bufland Pudere in Mohopong Limpopo, shares insight on how a natural approach to farming has enhanced the sustainability of his farm. Ekstian cautions farmers not to get stuck in an outdated mindset. He says farmers need to make sure that what they produce will have a market, which means they have to keep up with the changes in consumer demand. Consumers don't want to ingest chemicals, so farmers will increasingly be limited in what they can use. Farmers who don't start finding ways to work without these chemicals will find themselves redundant, says XTN. Now, the XTN family began shifting towards more natural farming practices in the early 2000s on the diversified crop in orchid and cattle farm and have been putting more and more emphasis on reducing Bufflan's chemical footprint. The underlying principle of their farming philosophy is the attention they give to improving soil health through the use of manure and mulch. Bufflan's soils have improved to such an extent that their irrigation requirement has been reduced by 25%. The pH of the soil has also improved significantly from 3 to 6. The farm makes use of any available material for mulch. When the stone fruit and citrus trees are pruned, the branches are chipped and placed under the trees and in rows. XTN says they don't practice no-till because they have a robust rotation system under the center pivots that includes seed maize, dry beans, pepper dew peppers, and potatoes. But they do shallow tillage. According to XTN, manure is a healthy fertilizer. Adding the micro-element zinc 
manganese, iron, sulfates, calcium, and magnesium to the soil. Eckstein and his team have been applying it to Bufflan's lands for over 30 years. He says they are fortunate to have a large feedlot nearby from where they can collect the manure, as transport costs are an important factor. The nutrient levels of the manure are measured before application to ensure that the crops are not given too much or too little. Extian cautions that manure applications should be monitored carefully. Bufflan's natural farming practices have reduced the input costs of pesticides and fertilizers. And the farm has reduced its chemical applications by 10%, while irrigation has decreased 25%. For farmers considering adopting nature-based farming, the most important step is to make the mind shift and see it through, says XTN. Now let's take a look at the news articles making headlines. One of the highlights this week is a story about cattle ingesting wind-blown plastic bags from the Freiburg landfill. Leon Billingham, chairperson of agri Freiburg, said previously rubbish was dumped for at least 500 meters in front of the landfill site. Now government has pushed all the rubbish back to behind the fences and a broad ditch has been dug around the landfill. However, the fences were unable to prevent plastic bags from being blown onto nearby farms. Dr. Dani Odendal, founder and director of the Veterinarian Network, said this type of litter was a major problem for ruminants as their bodies could not dispose of plastic bags naturally. Every time a ruminant eats a plastic bag, it remains in its rumen. Eventually, the bags formed a large ball, which could lead to various complications. And in other news, Almawashi, South Africa, AMSA, the country's largest buyer of live sheep for Middle Eastern markets, has announced that it intends to procure livestock directly from South African red meat producers and farmers in the future. It had already begun awarding offtake agreements to commercial farmers. AMSA spokesperson J.P. Ruet said AMSA was offering market-related pricing and farmers were also saving on third-party costs. Elias Ali, managing, managing director of AMSA, who said that in terms of the offtake agreements, farmers would now have complete control of their invoicing directly to AMSA head office and would benefit from guaranteed payment terms of between 7 and 14 days. Dr. Michael Bradfield, CEO of the Livestock Registering Federation, said the development was excellent news for South African livestock farmers. And that's it for this week. Remember to follow us and engage with us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly. Until next time, stay safe and happy.